from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, I'm your host, Chip Lutz. Not just today, but I'm always your host. But <laughs> today, I get to talk to a good friend of mine, Mar- uh, Dr. Margarita Gurry. She is, uh, I've known uh, Margarita for quite a few years. We've gotten the, the opportunity to work together a few times and speak together a few times. And I'm really excited about having her on the show today because she just presented a session at our uh, conference here a few weeks ago. I wasn't able to get there, so she's going to catch me up on everything she talked about. So welcome, Margarita, to LaughBox. Well, thank you, Chip Lutz. It's always a pleasure to talk to you in any form. Uh, you were missed at AATH. It was a great time for everyone to get caught up and to learn about play and humor. So you missed a good one. I sure. I was really disappointed. I got to Skype in for or Zoom in for a couple of sessions, which oh. was which was neat. And people kept me apprised of everything that was going on as it was happening. So tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and where you hail from, Mags. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> I, I hail from Cuba, actually. I uh, came here as a little kid, and we landed in South Florida, and I loitered there for most of my childhood. Went to a little few places up because I had to see the snow, and I'm back now loitering in South Florida. It's a fun place. And um, uh, right now, uh, it's been my pleasure to to close my office. I just closed my private practice office to fly all around the world, getting to play with people uh, and get paid for it. So it's fun. (laughs) Nice. What was that like moving from Cuba to the United States? Well, I don't remember that much about Cuba. I remember a few fun instances like playing with my dog, Bedla, who was a Weimaraner, and uh, playing with my nanny, um, who was really fun and thought I was funny. Um, and I remember being at the beach with my twin sister, uh, in, they had these swings in the beach that looked like the shape of a boat. Um, and so I guess that was my first naval excursion. And when you go, (laughs) (laughs) we were swinging into the sky and I remember that it was a, a lot of fun. The journey itself wasn't so much fun because we were, uh, woken up, uh, we morning, um, couldn't tell anyone we were leaving. My father had left a few days before, and November 5th, 1960, uh, my twin sister and I um, uh, joined my brother and sister and mother, and we escaped uh, in American Airlines. Everyone asked if it was the boat, said no, not quite, Um, with (laughs) $5 per person and a suitcase for the family. In fact, that's where we get the red shoes, because my mother, as a (laughs) to Castro, uh, decided to wear red shoes. So that's how we came up with the right strategy because no one can keep you from your sense of humor, from your accountability, from courtesy in any possible way. It's up to us. And that's the red shoe attitude, which chip lets you have in abundance. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> that's welcome. interesting. You have a twin sister. Do you, I uh, do. It's scary, isn't it? Well, no, not so much scary in that. <laughs> I just think that if there was somebody I had a twin that was like me, we would have so much fun. Well, we do. Um, my twin is Elena Guri-Levis. I think she just goes by Levis these days. She's been married for forever. 
and um, to Larry Levis. And she's the funniest person I know, other than you, of course, Jeff. Yeah, um, whatever. Yeah, whatever. She, she's very funny, and I run most of my stuff by her, and um, she's just terrific. She's, she's um, I would say she's my best uh, friend in all the world. Do you have like private, you know, certain like private jokes with her that only you guys get because you're twins? Did you ever play any practical jokes on people, <laughs> like with dates growing up? <laughs> no, but I, um, I once did get an amazing kiss from her husband. We were late at night. I was in her swim pool. <laughs> there was no light, and he came into the pool and gave me a good kiss. And I've never looked at him the same. So that, <laughs> but we didn't play any pranks. Um, in terms of um, uh, secret jokes or whatever, no. But with a look. I can tell she disapproves or approves of something I'm doing or not doing. <laughs> so we're pretty close. Yeah, I feel her when something's happening, but she doesn't feel me. I think she blocked it. She, she blocked it. She's like, I do not want to feel what Margarita's feeling. Well, I think it would be frightening to anybody. I do not blame her for blocking me. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm just curious, so I'm like looking around always. In fact, in school, I got in trouble sometimes because. When people did stupid things or evil things or whatever, and everyone remembered to put their head down, I was always looking up, so it would be me that get in trouble. Because <laughs> I just couldn't miss a thing. So, growing up, did you have, I imagine it must have been interesting, because you had been, like, English as a second language, you know, yes. growing up. How was that, you know, with, within your family? What did your, how did your, your parents transition? Did your dad already have stuff worked out? I know this has nothing to do with humor. I'm just curious. No, that's okay. Um, <laughs> your, your, your curiosity is always more funny than any joke could possibly be. Um, you know, my father already spoke um, a very beautiful English, and I tease, I say a very beautiful English, because in Spanish we always say a first, so, or the, the Facebook, the chiplets, everything's with, with the the or the a. Um, and so he already spoke beautifully in fact he tried to perfect his english and he didn't find the berlitz with the american accent but he found it with a british so we teased him he'd go pray pass me the baton you know in a british accent <laughs> <laughs> and he spoke he was a six foot three tall elegant guy um all uh, both of my parents um had well all four of my grandparents came from spain and um so he was this elegant guy, but he had all these words perfect except for one. And when it was time to fuck us, he could just never focus. It was fuck us. And we, it was just too funny to change it, so we never told him. I'm sure that he actually knew that it was focus, but he, he um, had such a sense of humor that I think he knew we were enjoying the, the joke at his expense tremendously, and he didn't want to spoil it. My mother never got the English particularly perfectly, although she was very charming and spoke incredibly fluently. But when you come later in life, your, your language, unless you're an amazing linguist, there's uh, no way you're going to get a perfect accent. So she always went to the bitch and changed the shits. So that was always funny. <laughs> Mom, where are we going? We're going to the bitch. Thank you. <laughs> Which I assume is beach. It is. It is the beach, but it's just so much more fun not to collect it. I was, that's what I mean, my question is that in your household where you grew up, I mean, there was you said your dad had a sense of humor. That my know. mom too. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. there, what was uh, some of the besides the, the the language things that came up? Some other things that were just particularly funny in your childhood. Okay, so first off, let me tell you a little bit about my parents. My mom is, was a socialite. Um, both my parents are gone because I'm an old broad. But my mom was a socialite. 
and um, she was beautiful and elegant and lively, and she had a wicked sense of humor, um, and she could be a, a person to be reckoned with. Um, my father was this tall, elegant guy that looked quiet, um, and he actually was the co-founder of the Psychoanalytic Institute in Florida. Um, it's in Miami, centered in Miami. And so here there's this Freudian shrink with all this gravitas, and he was funny and goofy as hell. So he'd walk into a room wearing some, you know, like shorts with, um, he always wore elegant shirts, like with a collar. I mean, mm -hmm. he, could, he couldn't just bum it like the Americans. Um, so it was this elegant shorts, even when he was, you know, playing out in his lawn, and he loved his lawn. Um, and he'd come in with a huevo frito, that's a fried egg. Those, you know, those, those, they look like sailor hats. There's a, a round part with the brim that's all the same size. I don't know mm -hmm. what they're called, but they're soft mm -hmm. canvas. And he would lift up his hat, go into the room, do a little whistle, and kick his feet to the left and to the right, you know, making his heels click. He was just funny. Um, and uh, if we were doing something wrong, he would look, and he would look up into the sky and say, I, we've been in America too long, you know, with an accent. Mm -hmm. Like, like we're the heathens. Um, so he was just, he was very funny. Like if I said something that wasn't so good at times, he would I would consult with him on, on dealing with people. He said, Ay, Margarita, that would have been a wonderful time to contemplate the fuzz on your knee. Meaning it would have been best to shut up instead. It's a, a, you missed an opportunity to contemplate the fuzz on your knee. <laughs> I like that. I think I'm I going mean, to adopt that. I, that's just fun. And then he always put his finger up, like pointing up to the sky. So he was very funny. Um, so when he got quiet and his finger would point to the sky, you knew he was about to deliver a line mm -hmm. that was going to, it's a gentle use of shame in a lovely way. Um, and so, in fact, I once saw him do, it's not quite like a rounds, um, at Jackson Memorial Hospital. He had like this class where he interviewed patients and he was always with so much respect and there was always people looking at Dr. Gurry and all that kind of stuff. And there was one guy who was ranting and raving and yelling and screaming and whatever. And my father put his finger up and he again said something like that. You could say that in a softer voice. Uh -huh. And he said it again a softer voice and the guy like was all embarrassed and he was one of the one of the fellow shrinks and so mm -hmm. he, he ended up leaving so I always wondered at my father the power of my father's finger and his head as it tilted towards you because you knew something good was coming interesting so, I yeah, like that. He, was, he was a funny and powerful guy so what can I say so is that how you became a psychologist because your dad was uh, maybe partly. We certainly have a lot of shrinks. My older sister is also a clinical psychologist. My uncle was a clinical psychologist, and we have shrinks all over the place. <laughs> oh my maybe, gosh. It's just, maybe it's just mental illness all over the place. I don't know, but we have shrinks everywhere. I think I became a psychologist because when I first came to school in, uh, in America, I was put in a classroom that's uh, with a room that said retard, like only one retard. It wasn't even nice, like the, the sunshine room or, or those with special needs or anything. I was put in the, it, and it just said retard. I remember because it's one of the first I ever, words I ever remember reading. And really? um, yeah, because I didn't speak the English, but also because the teachers were kind of, two of the teachers were kind of mean yeah. um, to us, and I got beat up a lot because I was Cuban. Um, and so I learned to just say nothing. So, so I think they thought I was slow. Um, and so <laughs> I know you think, you know, the funniest part is my twin sister did not get put into that class, which she reminds me of from time to time. Um, 
But the funny part is, is I go into this room and who's in there? The kids with a stutter, any kid of color back then, mm -hmm. that was November, you know, in November 1960, mm -hmm. any kid of color, uh, the kid that had maybe a little bit of autism, Asperger's, what used to be called Asperger's, we keep on doing diagnoses. Um, uh, the kid who was abused, um, uh, the one kid that I think probably had Tourette's, another kid that I think just probably had some sort of epilepsy, like she would phase in and out a little from time to time, mm -hmm. but wouldn't even know what was happening. So it was kind of, and, and all the boys that were hyperactive. Um, so it was me and these people. Oh, so I would, have been, I would have been in there with you then. Well, I had a really good time, and these were my peeps. Yeah. Clearly I belonged, and I was sad when... Um, uh, what seemed like forever, my mother had me removed from this from my peeps, but it was it was very nice place. They were very nice. Um, I enjoyed that group quite a bit. But I think that's why I became a psychologist when I realized that most grown-ups just don't get it. Yeah, interesting. And there's nothing funnier than just observing reality. You know. Well, and it's just it's such an amazing thing that you know you're looking at uh, decades, <laughs> decades have gone by and how much as a society we've kind of evolved as far as you know yes, diagnosing yeah. thing and putting people where they need to be and getting them the real help that they need right and Versus even beginning to look at people with different learning styles is not disabled but um somehow blessed in different ways I mean, you know because right with every brain style comes some advantages somewhere so it's a matter of we've changed so much in our perspective haven't we yeah. But still, you would have been in that group with me. That would I, have been I fun. was I was a little hyperactive. <laughs> what do you mean, were? I, I remember. I remember my fresh. I remember my freshman year. My social science teacher coming up to me, and she had her hands open. There was nothing there. She's like, "Chip, what do I have in my hands?" And I said, "Nothing." She goes, "That's exactly how much patience I have left with you." <laughs> Oh, so now all you have to do is put your two hands out. <laughs> yes, I, I remember that vividly because oh, I think that, uh, that we were playing funny. Jeopardy or we were playing some kind of <laughs> social science Jeopardy and my answer for everything was Ralph Nader. And she, was getting, <laughs> she was getting so, so exasperated with me. So where do you get your sense of humor from? <sighs> I grew brain the youngest of seven kids. So my dad, oh, there had, you go. my dad had a good sense of humor. And I think that when your old brothers are always telling you, Hey chip, come here, let me tell you a secret. And then they spit in your ear. You have to, you have to learn to laugh at stuff like that. Cause otherwise it's just too traumatic well, when they get, you, they get you down and you do the big string of spit, you know, where it's like, Oh, it's going to hit you. And they suck it back up. Yeah. Those are the things. That I grew no, I remember my brother doing that. He'd pin me down and be on top of me in his spit, but it wouldn't retract a lot of the times and it would end up on my nose or my mouth if I was screaming <laughs> or laughing. <laughs> and so after a while I would learn to say missed. Clearly it didn't. Um, so <laughs> it's all in the perspective because when you have very little power, all you've got left is either desperation or a sense of humor. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's cool. Well, I'm glad you were tortured <laughs> by all these uh, siblings because yeah. I love your sense of humor. This is this is probably a different kind of therapy session we're having right now. But <laughs> it's so like your sense of humor is so dangerous for me that you and I cannot sit in a meeting together across from each other. No. I, I do not behave well when I see your – all I have to do is see your eyebrow, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> because when you think something's stupid, it just kind of goes up a little. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really good. I'm not really good at hiding my emotions. No, um, me neither. I, I, have, I remember one of, my <laughs> I one of my bosses told me we – I was my, one of my first uh, evaluation 
uh, periodic evaluation debriefs as an officer. And my boss was telling me, he's like, you know, he says, I really appreciate the way that you get things done. You just, you know, I give it to you, attack it. But he says, I need to give you a little constructive criticism. I said, what's that? He goes, well, you hate the executive officer and everybody knows it because I was not good at hiding my emotions at all. I, anytime he walked in the room, I got a different look on my face. Anytime he would say something, my face gave it away. It was, just, it was, it was not a good situation. Well, you should have pondered the fuzz on your knee. Exactly. I should that, have. See, and, there, there was the secret of the universe. The fuzz secret. pondering. Yes. Fuzz on the knee. Well, let's move into uh, your session that you just had at the at the conference uh, you can tell us just an overview and then we'll get into some, uh, some specifics on it because I know okay. it was about uh, you know the uh, power of play in relationships no it was about sex okay forget, I was, forget relationships we're going straight to sex straight to um, sex I you know I was thinking about Ed Dunkelblau who's one of my my very favorite grown-ups and by the way I dedicated my my keynote to him and and so he had done a few years ago uh, a Guinness book record, I don't know if it was official or not, of the most uh, simultaneous faked orgasms in the world. And so he had all of the AATH. But to me, the funniest part is I was sitting at a table with his current girlfriend and two of his exes. That was funnier than anything else. So I was dying the whole time. So there you go. <laughs> they were like, so, they were like so, we've done this before. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know, I know this is funny. So... Well, maybe not because Dunkle Blau is a sexy guy, so it's a separate issue. But so what I'm so here I was thinking, okay, so what do I have to offer ATH? Because um, Sporty King uh, called me and said, hey, could you do our keynote? I said, sure. I said, what do you want to do about? Do it on. And I thought about it for two seconds. I said, sex, because I think that a lot of people use humor for healing and laughter for healing. But they don't talk about giggling into orgasm. They don't talk about enjoying one of the biggest sources of play because it was the theme was the power and purpose of play. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, my mind is always right there anyway. So the idea of these are a few of my favorite things, play. Okay, so then we talk sex play. So that I'm going to help everybody look at play and sex play a little differently. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. So we, we talked about um, a little bit about the brain research and some of the things that help us remember things or get in our way. And then we talked about some strategies that can help us um, enjoy um, a more playful, loving life. Well, let's get into that. Give me, uh, let's, let's start with, this is just broken up in three uh, separate parts. We'll just kind of <laughs> meander through there a little bit. And let's talk a little bit about that brain's research on the okay. group. All right, so we know that the brain um, is a huge part of our sex life. Um, and the brain loves things that are new. So you have a new romance and you're all excited and all they have to do is almost, you know, say hi and, and the orgasms happen and people are excited. Or okay, I've never had that happen. But okay. Well, then you haven't had the right look. I mean, what can I say? Okay, and so that maybe be, that would be kind of embarrassing. Okay, it well, it would, but maybe I exaggerate <laughs> a tad. But the idea of uh, getting excited or uh -huh. or having a sexual response or being interested, but our brains are also wired after time to look for what's wrong. So we go, we have to go from being a critic uh, to being creative. Mm -hmm. So 
in order to be safe, we have to know what's wrong. So what's wrong in this room? Where are the danger zones? Where's the fire extinguisher? Where are the solutions? Where's the, where are the exits? So we, in a relationship, we do the same thing. You know, where might the fire come from? Where would we be stuck and where are the exits? It's not that different um, in terms of safety in our brains. And so we have to convert our brain into how do you create new situations as a loving couple? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite sexologists is uh, Marilyn Volker. You know her. She does the um, the sex and intimacy talk with the military, and she's a hoot and a half. But you know, just talking to her, we you know coming up with all sorts of ideas. And um, I think that most people don't put enough effort into just enjoying. And so if you even think about people's orgasm face, it looks like you're in pain. I mean, why doesn't it look like you're laughing? I mean, people take sex way too seriously. So I also was trying to help people look at the sexual continuum, not only from a thought and a look to all the way the three intercourses, but the other continuum in terms of interest. Mm-hmm. So some people are born asexual. They call themselves ace these days. The terms are always changing. I have a hard time keep up, keeping up, so to speak, um, to those with limited interest, to those that are um, celibate for whatever reason, mostly married people that for some reason aren't being sexual, or people who've chosen to be celibate because they're focusing on intimacy in a relationship mm-hmm. or the priesthood. I'm, I'm Roman Catholic, so the priesthood, or they're at war, or whatever reason, a sick partner, whatever. Um, then people who are aromantic, they're just in sex but not romantic. Um, then people who are romantic and sexual, which is what I think of as the most fun and maybe the most satisfying and healthy for most couples, depends on the couple, I guess. And then finally, um, those that are too intensely interested in sex, that maybe sex begins to be something that's pressured, whether it's to make a connection or to manipulate or Uh becomes a compulsion or something that's a little bit um, with too much emphasis. Um, Why do you think, when you said that we tend to take sex a little too seriously, why is that? You know, I don't know. I think we get competitive. It has to be right. And so a lot of, you know, I was a psychologist in private practice for 36 years. And a lot of the reasons why people don't have sex is because it initiates the sequence. So every couple has their own little signal. So let's say the signal is the man nibbles the, 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 his partner, male or female, on the neck. And so then the nibbly um, then has a choice. And if they haven't made these agreements that a nibble is just a nibble, you know, yeah. sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, um, that pretty soon then that nibble goes to all the way to, to all the effort it goes into to having one of the intercourses. Uh-huh. But I think if we think of sex as a dimmer switch, it's better. So unfortunately, we think of baseball. Baseball being very, very good to me, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it hasn't been very, very good to me. And that's... Um, that's uh, Saturday Night Live, Chico Escuela, spoofing the White Sox guy, uh, the legend Minnie Minoso, I think. Um, sex isn't baseball. It's okay to just go to first base. Uh-huh. You don't have to go to first base. You can go straight home. Um, it's okay to be stranded where you are because it's not a stranding. It could be a choice. Mm-hmm. It, I think of it as a, you know, a destination rather than a stranding. So... I think people have these attitudes about sex of what's right and wrong in terms of correct, not just morality. On top of it, they also think about morality. Mm-hmm. So, 
is something morally right, morally wrong. Uh, once you get someone started, are you obliged to finish it? If you've done something once, does that obligate you to do it again? Um, all the myths that you hear in the, the bad teenage movies of, about sex, all the lines that the boys give the girls or the girls give the boys, mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. So I think, I think we just take sex too seriously. It should be fun. I mean, there's funny noises, funny sounds, uh, funny smells and tastes and, and touches. I mean, it's funny. Um, and I think that if, if people let go and giggle um, with their play, I think they're going to find that they have a more satisfying uh, sex life, whatever that looks like for each couple. Yeah, I just didn't was thinking, I didn't know if it was just our culture, our puritanical roots that make us, you know, like the same way we look at work, that work is work and has no, play has no uh, actor in that. Do we look at, you know, sex the same way that, you know, play shouldn't be part of this. So I'm here. This is the serious business right here. I'm yeah, I think you're right. That, uh, you know, uh, having uh, fun is... Well, I try to do it everything, and sometimes it falls, it falls flat, <laughs> but it's still funny to me. Well, the re I think the research backs you up that uh, people who play, in fact, Adult Recess, which uh, Danny Donuts um, and his partner did, which was really a lot of fun, um, the more you have Adult Recess of some sort, the more productive you can be. And I think that people say we must focus and be serious and be creative. But I think if they let go, kind of like Karen Buxman talks about play in an organic way, like it should just be part of any menu for creating and for uh, getting along um, and, and for being successful. Mm -hmm. um, I love the way she talks about humor. I could listen to her all day. So um, that's, that's my take on it. <laughs> all right. Well, I, 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 I I'm, always interested in the brain aspect of things and how we how we as human beings look at things and i agree that people tend to we have a lot of hang-ups about things in the in the bedroom well so. we do because we think we're supposed to look perfect and smell and taste perfectly um we think we should deserve love but you know many years ago i was working with an 11 year old who is um dying quite frankly and we were talking about life and she said um, you know, grown-ups, they think they have to deserve love and life. And she said, we don't deserve it. It's a gift from God, and it's up to us to make the most of it. None of mm -hmm. us deserve it. And I kind of like that about a sex life. Maybe none of us deserve love or life or a good sex life, but it's a gift given to us. We may as well enjoy it and, and help foster it. And have fun in the process. I would hope so. And, you know, like with any fun, a little bit of asking questions, that's the other thing. People... People don't ask. So if I'm touching someone's elbow, they'll tell me if it's too hard or too soft or if it hurts. But with sex, they won't. What's the difference between an elbow and a sex part? Not much. So I think think. think well, I, I, don't should... about, <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, but, but you remember I was in that special room. I mean, because so it's, okay, it's, okay, it's okay for me to sit around and rub my elbow in public. Well, yeah, well, but in this culture, but maybe there's a culture where elbow rubbing is taboo. I haven't found it. But what I'm saying is we imbue all sorts of body parts with all sorts of, you know, voodoo magic um, right. and uh, taboos. And so I'm going to watch you next time as you rub your elbow. I am. I'm going to watch it. I should have to put a disclaimer at the beginning, beginning of the podcast. <laughs> this might be it's not intended for all audiences. And that viewer, viewer listenership is, uh, I mean, uh, listenership is uh, 
is that uh, our parental controls are in place. So, <laughs> I, I get that elbow rubbing from a kid at a school where a bunch of kids were sexually abused as I was interviewing them. And he said, you know, what's the big deal? It's just like touching an elbow. And I thought, well, that's a pretty smart way of looking at it. So it's the elbow touch. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> and I know kids teach us more. Yes, go ahead. I keep interrupting. Yes, with, your with turn. At the in your keynote, then, yes. you know, what were some of the strategies you shared with people on you know, bringing a little more fun or play into their sex life? Well, I think the first thing is to examine some of their foundational um, uses of time and energy um, and to really look at themselves as to what's working in their lives and what isn't and to make play a priority. So I gave an assignment that everyone um, might consider in the morning before they do anything else. Um, do something fun because I, I believe if you work, wake up for work or for school, I think that's corrupt. You have to wake up for God, for country, for sex, for chocolate, for babies, for puppies. Wake up for something wonderful. Mm -hmm. In, and, you know, five-year-olds play for three minutes and go, that was good. Next. And so why not think of things as a three-minute fun? And whether it's sex play or, of course, three minutes is certainly a good start, but not enough for most of us. But um, why not do little fun things? Like even three for three minutes or scratch your elbow for three minutes, whatever. I, I think you and I could start a new trend and, and have May 11th, the elbow rubbing day. I mean, okay. you know, elbow, elbow rubbing. Yeah, national elbow national, rubbing. National elbow rubbing day. I like I, I think so. It's awareness. So I also talked about the issue of mindfulness and, and intoned my view you know, as a shrink for so long, I always had a couch in front of me, so I had three cushions. So on the left, people are all the way asleep. On the right, they're all the way awake. And in the middle, they're half. And there's more to it. But the whole idea of where are you really in terms of play mm -hmm. and your, your play hygiene. We think of sleep hygiene. We think of oral hygiene, so to speak. We think about all sorts of hygiene. Why not play hygiene? How are you doing? Like really assess it. When was the last time, like you went, you had a handout once that made me laugh that said, when was the last time you um, squirted uh, milk out of your nose? That's a question that should be in most interviews, don't you think? Yes. I mean, because if someone can't squirt milk from their nose, then they need remediation. It's not enough reason not to hire them, but I think they need special tutoring um, or at least the ability to make someone else squirt, I mean, you know, so to speak from their nose or wherever else. So the, the, <laughs> the idea of being playful and loose and having fun, and some of it is the language. I mean, how do we talk about awareness? How do we tell someone what we want? And a lot of people know exactly what they want, but they won't tell it. You have to guess it. And if you don't guess it, you're never going to get it. Right. So I think people need to learn to either touch or point or move hands or fingers or tongues or whatever to different places uh -huh. or somehow communicate um, and not just wait for luck and lightning to strike. That's great advice. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, I, there <laughs> is a propensity for people to think the other person's going to read their mind, especially in, even in, you know, really long-term relationships yeah. and you know, there for a yeah. long time, you think you got everything down only to realize like, no, I never really liked that. Well, no, it's nice to know now. I thought that we yeah, had no, it. It's like, you know, the, like the name, like all through middle school, people called me Margie because my nickname is Margie. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm liking Mags, that's kind of cute. But, you know, and I never told anyone. I was too shy back. I know it's hard to believe I was shy, but I got kind of shy when they were so mean for a while. So I never told them it was Margie because my experience, the Americans couldn't say Margie. So I was Margie for years. And 
whether you get called something or someone touches you in a certain way you don't like, you know, it's the, it, it's just, it's amazing how it is, you know. Um, it's, it's funny how life goes. It is. So the first big piece of advice you would give people is to do an assessment, wake up for something other than just going to work, but uh, you know, assess where you're at on the play scale. I mean, are you, yeah. it, that's a, that's a huge thing. Cause if you infiltrate it into all parts of your life, I would think that it couldn't help but manifest itself in the bedroom. Absolutely. In the bedroom, the kitchen, wherever. I mean, some people aren't so good in the bedroom. Some, some people need to be in interesting places as long as it doesn't make other people uncomfortable. Um, you know, <laughs> there's all sorts of ways to enjoy the universe this, and each other. <laughs> that's so funny. It is funny. And how to, you know, how to have the language to do that. Um, you know, and I know some couples watch uh, romantic movies or kind of sexy movies and then say, scene 3B, you know. Uh, and I know one couple, you know, um, that couldn't express themselves. So I had them write out a list of all of the body parts. And then I had them write out a list of all the different kinds of actions with, with, uh, that could be performed. And then a list of all the different uh, ways they could touch it with you know, the eyes, the fingers, the toes, the nose, the whatever. And then we kind of created our own dice system. And so it would be 3BAC, you know, or whatever. And then they would play with that. Um, Masters and Johnson came up with this amazing game that I, of course, stole and changed, and I call it sitcom sex. Mm -hmm. And it works for long-time couples, or even for couples that are brand new. So you pick two either Netflix movies or two movies on TV um, that are just half an hour, and you roll the dice, and you, whoever wins gets to decide whether they get to be touched or they do the touching. Mm -hmm. And you touch the other person exactly the way they want to be touched, unless you don't want to do that. So let's say you want your head scratched for half an hour. Then, the, then your partner scratches your head for half an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say your partner then wants um, for you to explore different body parts. Then that's what you do. Um, if you're not comfortable, you find a way to handle the spirit of the request without the, the specific moves. And so you take turns and without words. And it's half an hour, ding, next than the other one because it's a fun playful thing and the other fun thing is to tell people don't have intercourse don't have any of the three intercourses just don't or even don't play and um, then they get excited about looking forward to a specific day um, the reunion day or, or whatever mm -hmm. so there's all sorts of fun ways to spark uh, interest and excitement um, but the best way is to just be playful and, and respectful and kind to each other that's the best way. Interesting. I, so I remember when you were bringing up the whole, um, I don't want to say <laughs> the slice and dice thing that you did with that one couple reminds me of, there was an episode of Dr. Phil where the woman, she didn't really care to have sex. So what she did was she made up a menu of different things and that those, that menu equated to different things that her husband would buy her if she did them. Oh, and, that's funny. And that. uh, it, it's like a prize show, and if you well, do, yeah. well, so the people in the audience, some of the people in the audience looked at it that she was prostituting herself, but she was like, no, she's like, 
you know, he wants this. I want these other things. So we're just compromising on. And it was an interesting take, I thought, on. Well, whatever works for a couple. I mean, I know one couple, and uh, Dr. Volko was talking about this one, that um, there was a particular thing he wanted her to do, and she just wouldn't do it. So at certain times when they were making love, she'd whisper, and then I'm going to do that particular thing. But she never would do it. She would just whisper that she was doing it. And that was enough for them. They 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 got over the hump, so to speak, um, with just the her being able to say the words of what he wanted. There's all sorts of compromises. The main thing is everyone wants to be understood and loved, bottom line. Right. So those are good pieces of advice. What are some other things that you shared with the audience that you think that this is something that you, you really need to do? Well, I think that one of the secrets of the universe is um, compassion. I think if we take a look at, uh, and I had everyone in the audience take one minute and write down all the things that they're dreading doing, that they don't want to do. And then, so I waited, they wrote it down on their smartphones or even with real paper and pencil. Um, and then, bing, after an hour, um, then I had them uh, put a dot by the ones on the list that only they could actually do, that they can't delegate. And then I had them cross out things that don't really need to be done or put initials by those that could delegate. Mm -hmm. In terms of the first step of compassion is compassion for ourselves. If, so let's say there's a woman who's not in the mood for sex or a man who's not in the mood for sex. Well, why? Is it because they're mad? Is they're tired? A lot of times people are just tired and distracted. Our brains get distracted very easily. And mm -hmm. the number one thing that distracts us, in my opinion, is undone tasks. So that's why I start the compassion part with this dread list. Once you look at that, then you think about, okay, so are there apologies you owe? Thank yous that you owe? Mm -hmm. Are you not being generous enough or being too generous? Um, how are you going to show respect for somebody? It, the, the list often has mundane tasks, but sometimes it's more serious tasks of undoing or doing something that had to do with respect or love, um, you know, like the, the, the apologies. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing we talked about was to look at past, um, like what we were told about sex, you know, what was good or bad. Like I was told you could uh, get pregnant in the water with swimming. Um, <laughs> And I, I, you know, I didn't believe it because I thought the grown-ups were stupid. But um, I think a lot of people were told all sorts of things, and then they began to believe it was true. Like, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that you're going to think is very funny. I was supposed to be the nun in my family. That. Yes. Yes, I was. I'm speechless. I, I know. I know. Because <laughs> cause the, in, in our family, there had been you know, almost in every generation a nun or a priest that, that was contributed to the world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for world peace and joy and grace. And I was born kind of sweet. Uh, I know I'm sassy too, but I'm kind of sweet. So uh, they all looked to me and I cried and cried and cried. And I thought I'll have none of that. I always knew that babies, sex and chocolate would be good always. So I thought, no way. So my mother had assured me there were other ways to serve <laughs> um, and to help people. So looking at like some of the things from our past that mm -hmm. may be stopping us, um, things we think are bad. Like a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm going to do this with my girlfriend, but not with my wife. Um, the Madonna whore kind of complex that, mm -hmm. you know, now that she's a mother. And a lot of people change their sex lives after a child. Gay or straight has nothing to matter about the gender. When someone, when you move from being peers to suddenly, and sociologists talk about it, to suddenly being mom and pa or mom and mom or pa and pa, then suddenly the roles change. And sometimes expectations 
with um, with the universe changed. And so we also talked about expectant theory, so that if you expect something's going to happen, it happens. And to a certain extent, we create our own reality, which is why laughter helps with the immune system, the blood pressure and sugar levels and all sorts of stuff, um, because we create our own reality. So one of the things I was asking with the mindfulness is what is the story that you have lived with and what's the story you want to live in and where do you want to move to? Mm-hmm. And then I gave one last piece of advice. Um, did you see Spaceballs, that movie? Oh, years ago, yes. Okay, I love Spaceballs, and it's funny. You know how they say, may the Schwartz be with you? Mm-hmm. Okay, so being Catholic and loving Spaceballs, I came up with a Schmet, may the Schmet be with you. Um, so I did a lot of research, um, um, CDC, ran corporation, different big hospital systems, medical systems, and kind of looked at the advice that people needed for a safe foundation for love and joy and balance and play Mm -hmm. and good sex. And it came up with these sleep is the S, compassion is the C, and that's for self and other, meaning, exercise, humor, and touch. Those are the, so may the Schmet be with you. If you're practicing all six of those things and you dive into joy, um, I believe that anyone can have the sex life that they can imagine. That is awesome. Now, it's funny you talked about the different dynamic of going from being a couple to being parents. Uh, it, it is a different dynamic. Huge. And But what's funny is that I, when I was talking to my mom, who was in your audience at the conference. and Your mom was in the audience? She was I there. Didn't, she, I, was, she <laughs> I didn't see like, her. She was talking about it and she's like well it was really good she goes but I already knew all that stuff your dad was always really playful in the bedroom I'm like mom that's not anything I need to know you, you well, we, we would have guessed crossed. that because you love to play it's like you know? you, nothing I, I need to think about or anything <laughs> no kind of visual I need it's just like you know we can we can we can completely avoid that subject uh. That's so funny. Well, my parents were always sweet with each other. I, I would see them kind of dancing or um, kissing, not in a, you know, TV kind of way with, a, you know, in front of kids, but they were very kind and romantic uh, to each other. So, so I always knew that. Yeah, I could tell. I mean, I, I always knew that, that that would be fun. And some people don't have that, um, but they can create a reality that they didn't live. It's harder. Um, so to speak, Um, but you can do it, you know, and Mm. I think especially if you have a role model, like at ATH, so many people stood up that they'd been married like forever. I mean, 30 years and longer. I'm going, wow, it's the power of humor. Mm. Now, I didn't ask them, you know, you know, how's it in the bedroom, you know, Um, but it's not about sex. It's about sex play. And so if you don't think about sex as one of the intercourses and you think about sex as a dimmer switch uh, for play, then, then you suddenly have the possibility of being more romantic and more satisfied with the sex life. The other mistake people think about is balance. They think of balance as everything in a day. I think you need to make balance a broader uh, chunk of time. So whether it's in a week or two days or two weeks or a month, if you look at a chunk of time that makes sense for you as a couple, um, then maybe you can see the happiness or the balance or lack of balance that is there in terms of one partner getting what they want and another not, or both of you feeling happy or too stressed, um, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I I think people just need to play more um, uh, sexually and otherwise. I, I, I think the world is too fun and too rich uh, without putting a giggle on people's uh, throats uh, just with 
for the sake of a little funny look that you remembered, like 3B, <laughs> whatever, um, or hey, how's your elbow, whatever. Right. Well, and I think you bring up a good point, whether it's, you know, in the bedroom or the boardroom, whatever, that we tend to put all sorts of different um, – put ourselves in boxes as far as things so, to should, speak. so you should do or can't do <laughs> because oh this person's not gonna like that that really it's carpe diem seize the day enjoy enjoy the day as much as you can because you're not guaranteed tomorrow you're not and and the worst thing someone can say is no and then you can later ask you know well what about that don't you like or how would you like it or mm -hmm. you know show me what you like um and not people we get our feelings hurt so easily so i tell everyone in the audience i'm wonderful and they have to repeat i'm wonderful and then i say i'm awful and they have to say i'm awful and then i say get over yourselves um <laughs> we're both you know and uh unless you dive into the fact that you really are wonderful because you were born to be you mm -hmm. and you really are awful because all humans are um then it doesn't matter it's not such a risk to try something and fail or try something and have someone say no because you can't succeed unless you fail and those that succeed are the ones I forget who said it but I can rip off any quote um, <laughs> the the person who succeeds the most is the one who gets up the most who is it that said that that get that gets up the last time somebody said that I forget you did you did right then you right just, there I said it and I you said I, it. I probably ripped someone off and I thank that person, but I don't remember their name. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's been said uh, a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. Yeah, I, I think so. It's a, a true statement. True but statement. Certainly not as eloquently as I. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I can butcher any quote. So there's, there's the fun part. But I, I think part of what makes things fun is we don't have to be perfect. I mean, if I'm talking even to an audience and I don't remember something, I say, what was the thing? Or like, for instance, there's a word I never remember in English, the, the, the motorcycles on the water. I never remember the name. And, and they're, what are the, jet skis. Jet right. skis. Jet ski. I never remember that. So I just do the motion and I say the motorcycles on the water and the people tell me. Whether it's English or Spanish or in sex, something we forget, people don't care that I don't know it. They are going to help me. People want to be helpful. And I think that's the same in bed. People want to be helpful. Right. Right? Absolutely. Unless they're really mad at you because, you know, we've, we've been <laughs> unkind or thoughtless or something like that, right? That's right. I got mine. Anyway. Yeah, we all, we all have our list. Of course, then there's makeup sex, so that's a separate issue. <laughs> exactly. Well, I've had, as usual, I've had a great time talking yes, with you today. It's always, too, always a joy. If after today people want to find you, where do they go? Well, um, they can find me, I guess the easiest way to find me is my website, redshoeinstitute.com. And um, my phone number and everything's listed there. That's just the easiest way to find All right. me. So, Chippers, it was fun. Pleasure was mine. I appreciate you taking the time to share a little bit about uh, what you talked about at the conference and share a little bit about yourself. It's been a lot of fun. I learned some stuff about you today that I didn't know and certainly learned some things that I can incorporate in my own life, just <laughs> even better. Well, good. Well, say hi to the family for me. And thanks, by the way, for getting the funding for Lockbox. I think you're awesome with ATH. And I, I know you're always one, one of my very favorite um, funny guys in the world. So. Oh, thanks. And you're one of my favorite Cubans. Oh, uh, well, thank you so much. You, you take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>
This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.